Welcome to the Birthing Instincts Podcast. I'm Dr. Stuart Fishbein, community-based practicing obstetrician and longtime advocate for birth choices. And I'm Bliss Young, a licensed midwife. Join us in our conversational style podcast where we talk about everything birth. Sometimes we laugh, sometimes we cry, but we're happy that you're here. So here we go. This, this is, is a Soul Fire, Fire production. production. Back. Hi. Hi. <laughs> Good to see you. It's warm out today, huh? It is warm out today. Yeah. yeah. So what do you got for us today? Um, Before we get into our other stuff, or should I give a preview of what, what's coming? I could give a preview of what's yeah. coming. The last podcast we left off because we ran out of time. I want to talk a little bit about this um, article in the American Journal of OBGYN. Your favorite people. My two favorite people from how to, how, about how to counsel people. Honestly, about uh, the coronavirus vaccine, so that when you're done counseling them, they'll, they'll 100% want to take the vaccine. <laughs> okay. Coercion? No, it's eth- no, it's it's ethics. This is this is from the ethicist, the self-proclaimed mm. ethicist. Okay, we're gonna do that. We've got. Uh, I think you got a review for us. Yeah, I got a, a little text message dilemma, which kind of turned out to not be a dilemma, which I thought was kind of cool. That is cool. And then I've been getting a bunch of texts lately too about some abnormal menstrual bleeding and i think that it's probably worthy just to touch on the subject there's not a lot known and then i have some uh good news from i'll put news in air quotes from the new england journal of medicine so we'll, we'll get to that too great so awesome. what do you want to start you want to start with your my review? rv oh yeah <laughs> tell us about your rv that's what i want to start with um yeah we were going to meet in the rv today but it's so hot. hot that sitting in the RV with no air conditioning. Um, Why is it no air conditioning? Because <laughs> um, the, shoot, where's the word? Generator. Thank you, Stu. Um, oh, that was the right word? Yeah. Oh, the wow. generator needs to be serviced. And I knew that when I bought it, that the generator needed to be serviced. So it just gets hot. Yeah. But it's super cute. I took off all the um, cabinets yesterday, and I'm probably going to take up the floor today. And we're doing like a completely different interior. Well, th- that's really cool. I mean, I- I'm looking forward to seeing it. I thought it was going to be on your driveway. Yeah, it doesn't fit. I tried to get it in there, and it scratched coming oh, in. Oh, it's too it's wide. An a- it's too much of an angle. Oh, so the back end scratches. Bumps the bu- bumps the street. Yep. And that's where the black tank is. You don't want to mess around with the black. No, you don't want to mess around with the black. <laughs> tell people, tell people the difference between a black tank and a gray tank. And isn't there a, a like a white tank too or something? That you can put in your your drinking water. So you use drinking a water. You use a, an actual drinking water hose similar to the hose that we use at Homebrist, which is interesting. The white hoses are oh, yeah, free. With the, with They're the, for drinking water for the boat. The white hose with the blue stripe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so that's, that goes in for your fresh water. So you could, you know, use it in your sink and all of that. So when you wash your dishes or you take a shower, the water that comes off of you and goes down the drain goes into a tank and that's your gray tank. So okay. you, could, you could water plants and stuff with that if you wanted okay, to. Okay. So you could reuse that. Yeah. But the black tank is what comes out of your toilet. So all the Oh, things, so that's your sewage. Mm-hmm. Oh, but they call it a black tank they instead, black instead tank. of like a sewage mm-hmm. tank. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So when you pee, anytime you flush the toilet. Yep. So that only the toilet goes into that. Nothing else goes into nope. that. Nope. And did I tell you that when I bought it? Yeah, you told me. Many times. <laughs> I don't want to hear it. I asked this guy to clean the RV. That was part of our agreement. And we get it. And it was full of his so I had that was the first thing I had to do was go and empty. Can you that. can you say poop on uh, on podcast radio? I can say radio? shit. 
You can. But I was trying to be polite. <laughs> I only use no, no, those ba- words. For see, emphasis. babies poop. Humans. Crap. Crap. <laughs> yeah. I had a feeling you were going to say crap. And male, and male humans are very proud of their craps, too. Yes, I know. We don't need to. Enough said. Everyone poops, right? So Everyone that's the poops. difference between, okay, so you have fresh water and then you have your gray water and then you have your black water. How often, if you're just traveling by yourself, will that, will you like have to clean? I'm not, <laughs> not getting too specific, but I mean, how long can you go without, it's okay. cleaning, it's without cleaning your gray, your black? Tape? You have to empty it when it gets full. And if it's just me, probably not that you know, maybe once a week or something okay. like that. Yeah. And if you empty it, you go to a, a designated place where, yeah. where they do that. They yeah. have free ones. We paid $12 the other day because I, w- I went to Leo Carrillo, which is um, up in Malibu. It's a really pretty spot. So I, I could have done it in like Van Nuys, but I was like, why not drive you go to, you go to like a camper place or do you go to actually a place where like a campsite where they have it? We went to a campsite, but you could, there's some gas stations and different places where you can do it. Are you guys, are you guys fascinated with my RV tour? By the way, love more tour is my new Instagram page. If you want to follow my adventures, do you remember where love more mm-hmm. came from? Am I going to get in trouble if I don't remember specifically? I, I know. What, I know I what the hashtag. Make you in trouble. Isn't, isn't it from Sky? It's from Sky. Yeah. Well, I thought so. Yeah. yeah. Hashtag so, love more. I, I put it on a lot of my uh, posts on Instagram for no reason. I just put it on because <laughs> it's what we should be doing. Right. So January, we did it in January, twenty twenty. No, two thousand nineteen. No, it was no- November of nineteen was when she passed. So twenty twenty. Yeah. So it was before the lockdown. Right. January, we did a podcast episode called Let's Talk About Sky. Oh gosh. That was the that was the the tear jerking. Tear jerking most yeah. Well, we don't have a lot of tear jerking podcasts on birthing and you get podcasts. you get a little fuck. Yeah, but, but those are tears of like sort of yeah. joy and uh yeah emotional in that way. But yeah, the other one, but then and then the song people People, you got to go listen to the first five minutes of that podcast. Aw. But what came out of it was, I think you might have asked me or something like, you know, what have I learned or what, you know, I don't know how it came. But it was to love more. Like, that was what I got out of it. So now my, and, and my the, travels and, is love and, more. And the, world, and the world has gone the opposite direction. <laughs> your I world know. is Your world hasn't, but the I world know. has gotten crazy. I Everything's know. divided by everything. Now you've got people, you know, we've got divisions and all kinds of things and now we have the new division now which is the vaccinated versus the unvaccinated yeah there's a there's a huge division going on i know i i could tie this in a friend of mine um had a birthday party where she had people camp over camp camp over for overnight down in temecula i didn't i didn't i couldn't get down there Mm -hmm. but but um you know they're not vaccinating people they're they're actually the kind of people that have copper draped drapes over the bed of their children and stuff like that to block out uh, ionizing or non-ionizing radiation, what comes from 5G and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And a couple of the people that worked there, they had a DJ and stuff like that, that had been vaccinated. And they were concerned because they've been hearing through the grapevine that there have been women who haven't been vaccinated, who've been around vaccinated people who are beginning to have menstrual irregularities, strange periods, heavy periods, frequent periods, not they've been regular all their life and suddenly they're not regular anymore yeah and of course there's no data on this yet there's no data if there is if 
there may be data. And by the time this podcast comes out, maybe there'll be some data, but, <laughs> but there is no data right now. And the problem is if there is any data, it will probably be hidden. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, it's interesting. I won't say who it is um, for privacy sake, but someone very close to me um, was uh, in menopause. She'd been in menopause for a while. And she called me up one day and she's like, I'm listen, bleeding again. And isn't this weird? It's been, I don't know, 18 months or two years or something like that. And I was like, yeah, it's kind of weird. Um, and then comes out that she had had her vaccine. And I was like, it could be, you know, I, I was like, it just could, I, I want you to consider it could be connected. Yeah. Well, I've had, I've had yeah. two, I have, I have two of those, two, two of my clients in the last week. Um, one is post miscarriage and got the, uh, got the vaccine. I'm not sure it was related to the miscarriage or not. I'm not saying that whatsoever, but, um, cause there's no data on that yet either. There's just anecdotal stories and mm-hmm. maybe some bears reporting, which you're going to talk a little bit about bears in a minute. And, and the other one is a postmenopausal woman mm-hmm. who hasn't had any bleeding and all of a sudden she's had some abnormal bleeding after getting vaccinated. These are both of these people got vaccinated. Mm-hmm. All right. And, but I'm also hearing from people who haven't been vaccinated, who are being around vaccinated people. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, is this something that is going to be another divisive thing? Look at in California. Um, I don't know how it's even legal that the taxpayer funded universities are going to mandate that in order to start fall semester, you have to have a vaccine passport, which says that you've been vaccinated, which of course probably is illegal. I mean, what happened to you know, my body, my choice and all that other stuff. Right. But also, wasn't it like a year ago that they were telling us that college kids are so stupid because they're all going down a spring break and partying and they're all getting COVID? So, so if a lot of these kids got COVID a year ago. Why do they have to have a vaccine? Yeah. yeah. And, and why do they have to have a vaccine to go back to college? Why can't they just go back to college? And how is it legal for a university that's taxpayer funded to say you can't come here? Right. Because of something that you don't want to put in your body. Mm-hmm. And yet I don't see the big, I mean, I see people like me and, and a lot of people, there's a lot of people saying this, but I think in a state like ours, I don't think you're going to see any pushback. I don't know. I sure hope so. We'll have to just see how everything plays out. We, we will. It's a lot of um, unknowns right now. All right. So what do you have? You have a you have a, um, no. a review or anything you're going to do? So you start and then I'll find it. Okay. Well, I, I had an interesting text message the other day. Let's see if I can find it. There it is. So I got a text message from, I did a consult on a woman for a, who's pregnant. Um, and it's her second pregnancy, I think. Maybe it's her first. I can't remember. It doesn't matter. Um, but she just did an interview with me, all right? Mm-hmm. And then uh, that was like three, a couple weeks ago. And then she texted me yesterday, which, of course, again, the timing of these podcasts are not, they're not like live. So, but she texted me the day before, the day before today mm-hmm. or three days after the day after tomorrow. <laughs> For any South South Park fans out there. Um, (laughs) And she says, hi, Dr. Stu. Have you gotten or do you plan on getting the COVID shot? Shots. And so you didn't know where that. My initial response was. It's none of your business. Right. That was my, you know, but I'm not going to text that. (laughs) (laughs) So what did I so what did I do? I did something really smart. I counted to 10. And I texted Bliss and Beth. (laughs) My two my two midwife, closest midwife colleagues. And I asked them, what, what would you say mm-hmm. to those people? Because my, my initial feeling was, is that 
I don't want somebody in my practice who is going to be COVID fearful. It's just not, it's sort of indicative to me. If you're COVID fearful, you've got other anxieties and fears, and it's not maybe the best fit. I know that we're supposed to care for everybody, but it's all, it's not necessarily the best fit to be, you know, in a home birth situation. So you don't care if they're vaccinated, that's their choice, but you don't want someone that you feel like is going to be really uncomfortable about people around them, which forces you to be untrue to how. Yeah. Or, or is she going to ask me to wear a mask right. and I'm not doing that? Yeah. Are you just saying no now? Yeah, I'm saying no. Yep. That's what I thought. I'm saying no. Right. Unfortunately, I'm in a position as, as a monopoly that I can just say no and people have no choice. Well, it's not that they have no choice, but you are you are carving out a life that works for you. Yes. And then people that are aligned with how you practice, which you know, midwives do this all the time. Midwives say, like, there's a there's a um midwife for every person. And so if there's something that's just not a good fit, a lot of midwives will say, you know, I don't think that I'm the right midwife for you. Right. I think you'd be better served by this midwife who has this perspective. What I meant by a monopoly was that yeah, if she was preacher twins and that well, place also to go. <laughs> I know. All right. So <laughs> bliss in her bliss wisdom, this is, this could be your bliss wisdom segment. Yeah. You just tell, you just say my wisdom. You just, you, you said to me, you said to me here, you could try saying this. I just kind of pasted it. <laughs> you said, uh, no, I'm not feeling comfortable at this point in time with the safe, at this point in time with the safety and efficacy. I'm going to give it some time before I make that decision. That's actually that's so what, what word did you you described it as being I forgot what you said, but you said it was just I forgot the term that you informative? Used. Yeah, just being informative. Mm-hmm. This is how I feel about it. I'm not making a judgment. I'm just saying that right now I'm not ready to do it. Mm-hmm. So I get this text back and I see that it's from her and I go, oh, 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 oh. <laughs> and she goes, Okay, good. <laughs> I've been reading that the spike protein can shed to unvaccinated people and is causing miscarriages and blood clots. I'm trying to ensure a birth team that has not had the shot. So I have more peace of mind. The whole thing is population control was her last sentence, (laughs) which is interesting. I mean, I'm not going, I don't, I don't disagree with her, by the way. There's something about the reason that they want to vaccinate college kids and going down to age 12 and pretty soon age six. There's there's a reason that they want to do it. And it isn't to prevent disease in these people because these people don't get sick or rarely get sick. So there's something more to it than that. So She's got her suspicions, but that made me feel so relieved. Yeah, you can be yourself. That's the great thing about our work is that we get to like, you know, choose who we want to work with. So do you think that she should have asked the question more like, you know, I'm really not interested. I'm really don't want to be around vaccinated people. No, she didn't want to get so many. I've talked to so many people that are being private about it because they just don't want to get into a perspective with people where they're going to be judged. And so, but she did say a telling word in there. She did not call it a vaccine. What you call it? Shot. Yeah. That's a telling, this is usually a telling word of, of where someone is feeling, how someone is feeling. Oh, I'm not going to get the shots. She actually asked if you were going to get the shots. She didn't say vaccine. Oh, Mm -hmm. interesting to notice that. Very, Mm -hmm. very, very wise of you. Mm -hmm. Very observant. (laughs) I'm very observant. (laughs) Yeah, you you are. Mm -hmm. All right. So I have, I have a little, just a little thing. Um, So um, in the New England Journal this week, which I get a notice from the New England Journal on any articles that have to do with obstetrics. And they sent an article, which is called The Preliminary Findings of Messenger RNA COVID-19 Vaccine Safety in Pregnant Persons. All right. And I'm not going to get into the article much, but you can find it at the New England Journal uh, website. We'll put the link. 
yeah, we'll put the uh, DOI where you can just click on it number. But the conclusion was the preliminary findings did not show obvious safety signals among pregnant persons who received mRNA COVID-19 vaccine. So the mRNA vaccines are the, are the Pfizer and the Moderna. They don't, they, this, isn't, this has nothing to do with the AstraZeneca or the Johnson & Johnson, because mm-hmm. that's not what they're talking about. Mm-hmm. However, more longitudinal follow-up, including follow-up of large numbers of women vaccinated early in pregnancy, is necessary to inform maternal pregnancy and infant outcomes. Because right now, they've, they've got very small numbers, and they're only looking at people who have delivered within the last couple of months, since the vaccine's only been around for a few months. So they need more numbers. And that's classically what a lot of these studies will sh- say. It's a classic last sentence of every study, is we need more studies. Mm-hmm. That's what they'll say. Mm-hmm. So that's a piece of good news. The only problem I have with, of course, using the word news is that I don't ever believe that anything that says it's news is actually news. I believe that uh, I, I don't trust it. Yeah. So I don't, I don't trust when, you know, when you're, when everybody's doubting something and suddenly an article comes out saying that, you know, there's no need to doubt it anymore. That bothers me a little bit because I've been made so suspicious. I've been conditioned to be suspicious I'm suspicious on your behalf, as well as um, my own behalf and my own family's behalf. I just don't believe when things are put out anymore because I, they've been wrong so many times and they've misled us so many times. And the one thing that makes me a little weird about this one, and maybe it's wrong of me to say this, but I get these New England Journal things once in a while, and usually you'll get the abstract. And if you want the whole article, you have to go to their website or you have to subscribe or you have to pay or do whatever you did to get the whole article. This one specifically said this article is free. Mm-hmm. Well, so they obviously want people to read it. Yeah. But why do they want people to read it more so than any other article? Because it's a pandemic. It's not just isolated to, you know, something small. It's, you know, global. Yeah. I mean, it's maybe. affecting everybody. Maybe. Mm-hmm. Maybe. Mm-hmm. But they are capitalists. Um, the New England Journal. They did talk about in that article that you didn't mention um, the V safe. <laughs> the article that I didn't mention. No, that you didn't mention. I noticed I was just reading oh, it yeah. on the screen with you. Um, anybody oh. who is pregnant who does get the vaccine, the recommendation is to enroll in the V safe pregnancy program. Yes. I, I don't know if it's automatic when you're pregnant and you do that. These are, well, these were trial patients, but you're saying anybody who gets it should enroll. They should enroll because, you know, it's not necessarily just what's happening in the immediate. Um, it's, uh, it's what could happen long-term and we're going to, we're going to need a few years, maybe even a couple decades to really be able to see what happens when someone is getting vaccinated versus non-vaccinated. This is this is not even having to do with pregnancy, but specifically with pregnancy. You know, did we ha- are the are the children having more issues as they grow up? You know, are health conditions, mental um, issues, mental issues doesn't sound right, but um, learning disabilities. Um, you know, th- that's a long-term study that we're going to have to figure out. So. Um, definitely if you're, um, thinking about, I think it's, if you're thinking about getting pregnant, if you're pregnant, or if you've just been pregnant that you're supposed to enroll in this be safe pregnancy. Right. And so what we'll try to do is find the website for that and we'll yeah. put it in the show notes as yeah. well. Okay. Cause they said that they got, uh, from December 14th, 2020 to February 28th, 2021. So that's literally just two and a half months. We use data from the be safe Vaccination health checker surveillance system, mm-hmm. which I wonder if that's vol- that's probably voluntary. So I don't know what percentage of people who have a problem actually 
log on and close. So again, you're getting a smaller percentage of it. Uh, the vSafe Pregnancy Registry and the Vaccine Adverse Events Reporting System or VAERS. Um, Which we've talked about previously on the podcast, but if you are going to get the vaccine, my recommendation would be to go on VAERS and inform yourself and look at what the side effects that are being reported and also ask for the insert and read the insert before you make a decision about what you're putting in your body. Just like you look at ingredients on your food, you want to make sure and look at these things. Don't, don't just go in blindly. You know, if you look at all that information and you decide this is still the right choice for you, great. But don't, don't take a big, um, make a big decision like this without that information. That's my recommendation. And that would be my recommendation, but that would not be the recommendation of some fellows that work for the American Journal of OBGYN and that published an article recently. Let's hear in it. So I'd like to get into this. Okay. This is the same two guys that we've discussed on the podcast before a couple of times. I, we, I look back and we found it podcast 151, which was titled Subtle Coercion is Still Coercion. And that was sort of how to, uh, how it was an article letting doctors know that it would be pre- professionally irresponsible for them to support anybody who supports home birth. Yeah. So that was podcast 151. You might want to go back and look at that one. And then, uh, and then also uh, podcast number 161, which was another article put out by these guys, which I titled the, quote, authors report no conflict of interest, unquote. And the reason I put, the, put that out, it was, it was about home birth again as well. And um, they quoted five articles that were anti-home birth in their, they, they cited them, and four of them were their own articles. <laughs> yeah, I right, remember that one. Right. <laughs> and one was the, the wax paper. And these... And, and one of these guys is a self-proclaimed ethicist, and, and he's so ethical that he's actually on the advisory board of the American Journal of OBGYN in some capacity, and yet this is the journal that he always publishes his articles in. So to me, there's some sort of ethical cl- conflict of publishing articles in where the people that are deciding which articles to go in it are people that you know. Yeah, and um, you should mention their names because you haven't yet. Do I need to mention their names? Okay. Yeah. Frank Chervenak and Amos Grunbaum are the two main guys. And then there's a whole bunch of other authors here. Knack and bomb. Can we just start calling them that? Knack and bomb? <laughs> sure. <laughs> Sometimes you say it. the two guys. The two guys. Well, they were bomb. formerly of Cornell. They're not with Cornell anymore, I don't think anymore. They they both moved on to different positions and they seem to be keep, keep moving up in the world. Because, and together. No, no, I think they're at different places, but they always, they often, not always, they often publish together. Yeah. Right. So it's Here's here's a here's a sick story of of when I was a resident. I still remember this. This was a this was a time of misuse of of insurance and economics. But when I was a resident, there were two main oncologists at Cedar Sinai, and I will not name them. I think they're probably both both passed on by now. Maybe um, I'm sure they're both retired, or if, if they haven't. But in those days, you got paid to be a surgeon, and you got paid to be an assistant surgeon. So they would both have surgeries going at the same time. And each one would come in and start the other one's case, make the incision, and then they would switch rooms. And then they would bill for surgeon and assistant surgeon at the same time in two different cases. Yep, so lesson, true story. Lesson, a lesson that I learned early on. I, know, I remember another lesson early on. One of the, one of the private gynecologists at, at Cedars was operating on like a 22-year-old with a functional cyst. He was doing a laparoscopy. And I don't know if he thought he was going to be funny or what, but I don't know who he thought he was talking to. 
And again, I wasn't the same person then that I am now. Ethically, I was, I think. I try to do the right thing. But, but I said, so why are we operating on this person? And he said, I have house payments. Silence for effect there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, yeah. And these so, are the things that, yeah. that, shape, that shape that you don't forget. You don't forget stuff like that. Yeah. Okay. So the new paper, how do, we, how do you move on after that comment, right? <laughs> you just do. You just have to move on. <laughs> okay. Um, so this paper is called Professionally Responsible Coronavirus Disease 2019 Vaccination Counseling of Obstetrical and Gynecological Patients. So let me let me preface this by saying professionally responsible was a term that I believe that that Dr. Chervenak came up with a few years ago when we did podcast 151 because everybody the basis of ethics has always been pretty much in medicine beneficence based ethics and beneficence based ethics is complicated but ultimately means that and you hard to say <laughs> yeah yeah and spell too <laughs> you want to say it beneficent Based ethics, ethics, beneficent based. Yeah, what what it what it That's ultimately what it is is giving is essentially giving informed consent of the risks and benefits of the choices that are there, and then having a conversation, and then allowing autonomy and decision making, and mm-hmm. supporting the woman with decisions. That's sort of what the basis of medicine has always been, but that doesn't work with home birthing because. There is good data out there that supports home birthing, and there's data out there that doesn't support home birthing. So if you're going to be beneficently based, you have to give both points of view. And there's good data out there that supports hospital birthing, and there's data out there that says hospital birthing leads to really a lot of dissatisfaction and high C-section rates and uh, more NICU admissions and, and more inductions and all the other things. And if you give, if you use, then, then, you, then you have to share all that information. So what do you come up with? You, you come up with a new form of ethics called professional responsibility ethics, which is basically the doctor knows what's right. So how the doctor gets to the end point that he wants is justified. Right. Yep. Even if it's a violation of beneficence-based ethics. Beneficence-based ethics, all right. Blah, 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 blah. You okay. might never say that again without thinking about me. I probably won't. Okay. So. Um, I, I did. I. It's interesting, you know, uh, the little yellow pen that you use to uh, highlight. Highlight. Mm-hmm. Right. I didn't want to use it. Why do they call it a highlighter? Because it jumps out, right? No. So, yeah. Because you're highlighting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. So what I did is I went through the paper and I tried to get the highlights. <laughs> okay. Now again, we'll put the we'll put the link to this paper up. I sent it to you today. You've got it, right? I got it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So this paper is actually one where you can get it, where you don't have to be a member of the American Journal because I was able to just go into the site and cut and paste. I mean, they want everybody to have it. Yeah. You said. Mm-hmm. Well, no, they they don't charge. I don't think the American mm-hmm. Journal charges. Anyway, this or maybe they just gave it to me because I am registered and, and then they allow me access. And even though I sent it to you, they think you're me. Yeah. Maybe we're like the same person. Maybe can't you tell? Okay. This paper focuses on how physicians should implement the results of these clinical trials. When counseling patients who are pregnant, planning to become pregnant, breastfeeding, or planning to breastfeed. All right. So this is this is really relevant to Birthing Instincts podcast and up to our viewers. And it's about counseling patients who are wondering about whether to get the vaccine in any of these situations where you're you're pregnant, thinking about being pregnant, or breastfeeding. Why a recommendation of the coronavirus? 2019 vaccination should be made. 
and how this assessment should be presented to patients during the informed consent process with the goal of empowering them to make informed decisions. Mm-hmm. So wait, you, I don't think you caught that. The, the determination is that, uh, that, they should get the, the, that they should get the vaccine. And we're going to do that with the informed consent process with the goal of empowering them to make informed decisions. <laughs> right. Okay. <laughs> empowering them to, to make, do what we say. That's right. right. That's, that's, that is exactly right. Mm-hmm. All right. Subtle coercion is still coercion. That's right. All right. In contrast to the conflicting guidance from government agencies and professional associations, what he means by conflicting guidelines is that the American College will say one thing, the Royal College will say another thing, the CDC may say something, the World Health Organization says something Mm -hmm. else, okay? It's confusing for people. Yeah. Evidence-based professional ethics in obstetrics and gynecology provides unequivocal and clear guidance. Physicians should recommend coronavirus disease 2019 vaccination to patients. Yep. There's no question. Nope. If you followed their ethical guidelines. They want to be clear. Well, you guys. Well, so how do they, how do they, how are they so clear when all the other organizations are not clear? That's rhetorical. Don't, don't answer that. Okay. I won't. Okay. So the center, the U S centers for disease control mentioned severe and, and immediate allergic reactions to a previous dose of a messenger RNA vaccine as a contraindication to getting this one. Okay. If you previously had it, but have there ever has there ever been a previous messenger RNA vaccine? Not, I mean, in animals. Well, but yeah. they're, they're talking about in the person yeah. themselves. Yeah. So they're so they're already they're using a premise where if you if you've had the vaccine and you while you're pregnant and you got a reaction, don't get the second one. Okay, so duh. Yeah. But and then it says these individuals who've had a reaction, and this one is really baffling to me because of the, le- the level of knowledge that we have right now should not receive an mRNA COVID-19 vaccination at this time unless they have been evaluated by an allergist immunologist and it has been established that the individual can safely receive the vaccine. How would an allergist ever do that? How would he know that it's safe for a person to get the vaccine? We don't have that level of knowledge right now. Again, I don't know if this is something that happens to me or maybe I just pick on these guys because they're so easy to pick on for me. I, I might be there. Certainly I have my bias in that, but whenever I read an article by them, it's just, it things just jump out at me that do they not see that? Do the other seven or eight authors in this not see what they're saying is, is, is conflicted. And I'm just getting started. We're just getting started. Okay. <laughs> okay. The American college of obstetricians and gynecologists say that one a couple of times too. <laughs> ACOG. All right. Uh, says that vaccines should not be withheld from pregnant patients. All right. And it should be offered to lactating patients. So that's ACOG that says that. Mm -hmm. ACOG also states that those considering a COVID-19 vaccine should have access to available information about the safety and efficacy of the vaccine, including information about data that are not available. (laughs) I even got that one. The, 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 The sort of the twisted... Yeah, they they should have access to information that's not yet available. Well, to know that there isn't information available. Mm -hmm. So then how, again, can you propagate the idea that it's safe? How does ACOG, you know, who's supposed to be caring for pregnant women in the United States, how do they do that? It's baffling to me. I don't know how they think. I would love to sit down with somebody from ACOG or somebody. I would love to sit down with these two guys. I've offered several times to sit on. Yeah, we need a guest. No, Come no. Or, well, I guess would be fine, but I would like to sit on a stage live, socially distant, of course. He can wear his mask and I won't be wearing mine. And we could have a, a conversation in front of 200 people and a Q&A afterwards. I would love to do that. 
I mean, these guys are very wise. I'm not saying that they're not extremely smart people, but be, but just because somebody's very smart doesn't make them very wise. Mm-hmm. And there's just a, there's a real difference of opinion here. There's, there, and it's beyond cognitive dissonance. There's this purposeful point in what they're doing. Determining the most effective approach for this conversation is challenging. So the, there are five major challenges and providing evidence-based, ethically justified practice guidelines for overcoming these challenges. And so that's what they go through in the next thing. Great. So this is sort of another term, a euphemism for what they're talking about here is directive counseling. It's counseling people to funnel them down the path you want them to take. And I've always thought that that was unethical. And we just did a whole podcast and, about informed consent. And coercion. And mm-hmm. we talked about, you know, ACOG and the AMA have strong statements against use of coercion in anything. And yet, directive counseling is coercion. It's just subtle. So, okay. Um, there is currently, there currently is insufficient evidence from clinical trials about the safety and efficacy of the COVID-19 vaccines in pregnancy. And by the way, the New England Journal article that I read about is not a clinical trial or anything like that. It's just a summary looking at some numbers from the, uh, what's the, what's theirs? The, no, or no, the be, be safe. Be safe. Yeah. The be safe. Right. Thank mm-hmm. you. Okay. So the, the theoretical risks of the COVID-19 vaccine must be assessed in the context of the documented increased risk for a severe COVID-19 disease course in pregnant women and their fetuses. So one of the reasons they, they often talk about giving this vaccine to pregnant women is because pregnant women who get sick, can have a, a more intense course and can get sicker, mm-hmm. all right? I believe looking at the data that that's true. The question is not, does it happen? But the question is, what's the actual risk of it happening? And I couldn't find that anywhere. The statistics that I looked at today were, were and I don't have them in front of me, but um, were very like 0.7% versus 0.6%. It's not like a, it's not like a huge difference. It's an increase but it's not like a, like, you know, 0% versus 13%. Yeah. An increase of a small number over another, over, you know, is, is not necessarily significant yet. You can state it as yes, they get more severely sick when they get it. Okay. That may be true. How many pregnant women get so severely sick that they're in an ICU and then, you know, and what, and what percentages, I mean, what, Mm -hmm. what, what is that? So again, it's not clear. So they can argue these things tangentially or, you know, sort of, Ethereally, they talk about these greater risks that are known for pregnant women, but they're talking relative risk. They're not talking actual risk. We don't really know what the actual risk is. And since we don't know what the actual risk is, you, it's really hard to give good counseling. Yeah. Okay. But you said in the very beginning, there is currently insufficient, insufficient evidence. evidence from clinical trials about the safety and efficacy of the COVID-19 vaccines in pregnancy. That is the counseling that you and I give. Right. Because that's that's what we know. Right. That's what so we know so far. What I think they're saying is you can say that, but you can also say we do know, however, for sure, because it's not theoretical, that women who catch COVID who do get really sick can get have real problems. Mm-hmm. So you could say that. You could say there's there's a risk if you do catch it, you're probably not going to get sick, even if you're pregnant. But if you get pregnant and you get really sick, then you're probably going to be sicker than someone who's not pregnant who gets yeah. really sick. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But if you take the vaccine, we don't know what that risk is. We don't. Right. Yeah. So again, beneficence-based ethics would tell you that you tell people that information and a good number of those people are going to say, you know, I think I'm going to wait because the risk of me getting really sick 
or the risk of me dying from this is really, really small. Okay. A lot of people are getting it. Therefore, based on the absence of actual trial data, the risks to pregnant and fetal patients are unknown. Okay. There is, however, a large database of direct evidence on the potential safety of non-living virus vaccines from the past experience of subjects in the treatment arms of trials. Okay. There's also indirect evidence. The messenger RNA vaccines are non-living virus vaccines. These do not use an adjuvant to enhance the vaccine efficiency. So no mercury, no aluminum. Um, in addition, messenger RNA vaccines do not enter the nucleus and do not alter human DNA in the vaccine recipients. Okay. That may be true. I don't know. I don't know. I'll take that at face value, that it doesn't alter your DNA and that it doesn't um, uh, enter the nucleus of the cell. All right. But that doesn't mean you'd want to put it in your body. Yeah. I mean, that, and that's directly the opposite of other things that we've heard. Have we heard that it enters the DNA? That it alters the DNA? Alters the DNA? I thought it alters the, like your um, transcription RNA or something. It makes your RNA produce this spike protein. Again, there's, you and I are very bright people. We're confused. Yeah. Well, right. we'll, we'll keep coming back to that. We'll okay. study more and dilute okay. it down for you. I'm just thinking that maybe academia just sees the world differently well, in, yeah. in, their, in their little bubble. Well, yeah. I say this all the time to people when I talk, when I do informed consent, it's like you could take something and you could say, look, this is a 99% chance that you're going to be fine. Or there's a 1% chance that you could die. Right. And most people, well, not most people, but some people will look at that and go, well, there's a 1% chance that I don't want to take that risk. And other people are like 99%. I'm cool with that. Yeah, yeah. So I, that's definitely- and everything that we do when we counsel people about inductions, we counsel people about, you know, uh, going beyond a certain uh, due date uh, with twins or with all that stuff. We give them yeah. these numbers. Yeah. And again, when we talk, like we've talked about the um, risk of uh, stillbirth with twins, and we're talking about, you know, diamniotic, dichorionic twins with, without hypertension, diabetes, or um, IOGR. And the risks go up from 36 weeks on. Mm-hmm. And, they, and they go up actually sevenfold from 36 weeks to 40 weeks. But they're still less than half of 1%. Yeah. So it depends on how people want to present that information. The ev- this evidence suggests that the probable hypothesis about the use of the current non-living COVID-19 vaccine in pregnant patients is that these are safe and efficacious. That's that's the premise on which they're they're basing their their their, their what's what's to come here. Okay. So in pregnant patients, all right, here's what they say. Pregnant patients are not more likely to become infected, and the majority of pregnant patients have mild or asymptomatic infections. That's what I just said. Mm-hmm. There are reports of a more severe disease course and other and other pregnancy complications if pregnant patients do become infected, but they don't get infected at a higher rate, which people need to understand. Right. When you're infected, when you're pregnant, when you're infected, when you're pregnant, your risk of catching the virus is no different than when you're not pregnant. That's right. what they're saying. Right. Okay. I agree with that mm-hmm. because it, I have confirmation bias. <laughs> <laughs> well, I do. Uh, okay. And this is in, 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 especially in low to middle income countries. Okay. So again, they're looking at the data from sometimes from low to middle income countries where if you get the virus in a low to middle income country, your chance of survival is going to be less than if you get it into a, into a high income country because healthcare is better. Nutrition is better. Those sorts of things. Not all, not universally, 
but you're going to see probably lower rates of death in certain countries than you are in other countries, okay? Mm -hmm. Per capita mm -hmm. rates. That's what we talk about rates, not actual cases, all right? So then they use terms like this, and I just want you to see if you can catch what's wrong with these terms, okay? It's not a quiz, all right? There are, there are disparate accounts, maybe at increased risk. There's variable information, has been reported, and suggesting that the virus could impact. Do you know what's the trend through all those five are? It's not, it's not, it's, yeah, like, it's, it's like, ambiguous. It's, it's, it's like ambiguous, it's ambiguous. Yeah. Variable information may be at risk, has been reported, could impact. Right. It's like, well, okay, fine. I'll just leave it at that. All right. Uh, there are also conflicting guidance from government agencies and professional associations that we talked about in, in the abstract. And the WHO takes the position that there are insufficient data to provide guidance. Guidance should be delayed. All right. Mm -hmm. All right. Until there's more evidence. Uh, the Royal College of OBGYNs is slightly is similar to that in that they are, take a little more hesitant stance to it than we do in, in ACOG and some of the other European countries. Then they go on to talk about false information about coronavirus disease 2019 vaccinations. Again, when I see somebody like these guys say false information, I want to know, says who? Who decided it's false? Right. You, you did? Okay. So essentially, you need to take information from people that, ha you, that have your trust. All right? And it's hard because it's it, a doctor that, that seems certain about what he's telling you in these days, I would be very suspicious of. It's much more reasonable to believe somebody who says, this is what I think, but the data isn't really clear. I don't really know. Um, let's look at your family history. Let's talk about it. What are your fears? Ask, ask questions of the client instead of lecturing them. You're going to get more to find out where they're, where they're at. Yes. Which is why that woman asked me <laughs> what my position was on getting the shots. Yes. Right. It was a very smart question, but I... I was caught off guard. Yeah. And by the way, so who has your trust? And if they don't have your trust, why is it broken? And I know why it's broken because we've been lied to consistently over the last years. And and medical profession has not done itself any favors in the, in, during the pandemic. We have made ourselves look really bad, not just Fauci and the, the and the wavering this and doing that and wearing double masks when you've been vaccinated and all that stuff, but the idea of blocking people from trying hydroxychloroquine or you know, ivermectin bad-mouthing people or canceling people who have a different opinion, firing people, firing doctors who say that they wanted to give hydroxychloroquine and then didn't like Simone Gold from America's Frontline Doctors, those sorts of people. Um, why would you do that? If you're One of the tenets I really believe in is if you're comfortable in your position, you don't need to silence your opposition. Yeah. I think, I, I think that's a running theme on our on our podcast. The last the last little bit of time, yes. Well, this is because it's it's permeating everything. Mm -hmm. I mean, in 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 sports yeah. and everything. Yeah, it's true. Okay, so the informed consent process implements the ethical principle of respect for autonomy. <laughs> it's like, <what? laughs> all right, they say that in their article, mm -hmm. and then um, they say the role of the physician in the informed consent process is to identify the clinically relevant information and assess it in an evidence-based clinical judgment, present this information and assessment to the patient, and explain the physician's evaluation, okay? Mm -hmm. So the key sentence there is to identify the clinically relevant information, all right? Well, that 
depends on what kind of filter you're looking through. Mm-hmm. What's clinically relevant to you might not be clinically relevant to the lady across the street who has the pink Volkswagen. <laughs> you know, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I was walking today earlier. I saw young people walking with no masks and walking their dog and young people walking with masks, walking their dog. So what do you think the clinically relevant information is to those two people? Completely different. Yes. Right. Like anything else. Right. Yeah. Any other. But I get the sense of the arrogance of these two guys and their, and their colleagues is that they know what the relevant clinical information is and anything that they don't think is relevant isn't relevant. And that's what comes across. It comes across as paternalism and, and arrogance. Um, and maybe I do too. And, and I'm fine with that. Okay? <laughs> I'm fine with that because my mission is not to tell you what to do. Mm-hmm. It's, to, it's to give, to individualize care and give informed consent. Exactly. To support patients, they can be asked what is important to them. Okay, I agree with that. Patients should also be asked to express any concerns they might have. The physician should listen attentively and respond to mistaken or incomplete information with a respectful explanation of what is known and the crucial distinction between documented and theoretical risks. So if they tell you something that these guys don't agree with, it's obviously mistaken information. You understand what, 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 how do. this is going? I and do. these are the guys that are, that are the self-proclaimed ethicists of my profession. And we wonder why academia is putting out doctors who, who you know, don't know how to necessarily counsel people, don't know how to do certain techniques, don't know how to do breach delivery, don't know how to put on forceps, don't know, you know, they don't know these things. And they're, they're, almost, they're almost put out of residency. It's almost like an indoctrination period to come out of residency to be practicing a certain way. Or then if you work for a certain institution, and I'm not picking on Kaiser here, it's just, it's just my go-to, it's easy. It's my go-to uh, <laughs> analogy here, is that, is that if you work for Kaiser here and you have an opinion that isn't Kaiser's opinion, good luck. You're not allowed to express it. No. Just for people who are watching or listening, Bliss is shaking her head. I am. It doesn't work really good on the radio when, you, when you're shaking your head like it that. It does. Right. No. Right, no. They don't. And again, it presume, I, I wrote down a note here that presumes the vaccine is inert and devoid of risk. So again, they're talking about the risks of, of, of COVID versus the benefits of the vaccine, but they're not talking about the risks of the vaccine versus the benefits of COVID. Right. Okay. If we talked about it in our last podcast, as Jennifer Marcus likes to say, there's benefit to illness. What doesn't kill you makes you stronger. People who've gotten COVID naturally have stronger immune systems than anybody who's getting vaccinated. Right. right. It's nature. Because trust their immune nature. system is, is, is been challenged. What was the title? Trust uh, nature is smarter than, than, the, the... than the CEO of Moderna. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. Okay. Um, the theoretical risk should not shape the informed consent process and the physician's evaluation. Isn't that interesting? So theories that, that the vaccine actually works really well are okay, but theories that the, that that the vaccine may be harmful or not okay. Again, it's like, do they not, do they not see, do they live in such a bubble that they don't see their arguments for the, yeah, again, I keep using that word, that paternalistic point of view, that our arguments are right and your arguments and your risks are wrong? If we go back to the fear that's underneath all of it, it is wanting to direct 
people in a particular arena to control the outcome of what they believe is the outcome, right. which is to get um, herd immunity through vaccination, which is much higher of what we would need. It's like in the 90s, I think it's 99% versus, versus by natural herd immunity. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so they have yeah, an I'm agenda. Not an, I, I fully admit I'm not an expert in, I thought I knew about what herd immunity really meant, but I, but it's, I've become much more confused as I've learned more. Yeah, well, we're learning more, and that's a good thing. Right. Mm -hmm. Patients should be informed of available data and be encouraged not to base their decision-making solely on theoretical risk. The risk of complications, therefore, should be considered alongside the very significant advantage of preventing infection, preventing asymptomatic infections, and potentially transmitting it to others, and preventing serious disease, long-term consequences, and death. For this reason, the physician should explain why vaccination is recommended. Okay. Now, again, we are learning that... I mean, we are, we're often being shamed if you look at watch mainstream media and stuff like that, that, that those of us that don't want to get the vaccine, you know, are selfish. Mm-hmm. We're, we happen to be of one necessary one political persuasion, which we're not, mm-hmm. you and I, mm-hmm. or they happen to be of one particular uh, religious persuasion, which you and I are not. Mm-hmm. Okay. I mean, we're different. Mm-hmm. Right. We are and different. we agree on this topic. So yeah, and 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 the idea that transmitting it to other people again, if you've been vaccinated, are, are you transmitting it to other people? And if you haven't been back, and, and and if you and if you've been vaccinated, why are you worried about people who haven't been? People who haven't been. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm not sure. I, I I totally understand that. Plus, now we're hearing things about the vaccinated people might be shedding. <laughs> the spike protein and causing problems in the unvaccinated people. Correct. So maybe the vaccinated people should be shunned. Uh, I'm not saying that. That's, Nobody should. That's, yeah, that's exactly right. Bliss <laughs> with her wisdom again. Okay. So it's, and then it talked about breastfeeding. SARS-CoV-2 antibodies have been detected in the breast milk of infected patients and can potentially provide additional immunity to the newborn. That's good to know. Mm-hmm. All right. But it doesn't, there's nothing in there part about breastfeeding that, does the does the vaccine stimulate antibodies to cross the uh, milk to cross in the breast milk or not? It just says SARS-CoV-2 antibodies have been detected in the breast milk of infected patients. It doesn't say infected patients and vaccinated patients. No, correct. So why not? Why shouldn't they tell us that? Mm-hmm. Why? Why they, eliminate it? That would to me that would be a reason why it might be good for you to get infected and, and recover, because now you can pass immunity to your baby. Mm-hmm. Right. So I don't know why they didn't include vaccinated patients in that segment, but they didn't. You do. Counseling pay. I do know why. <laughs> why is that? Tell me why. Because they they're they're biased. Yeah. No. Yeah. <laughs> Counseling patients planning to become pregnant. Okay, so people that are thinking about being pregnant or women of reproductive age. It's about how we usually say it. Okay, the physician's response should be professional, not personal. These patients should be treated with respect paying special attention to patients influenced by false information that is now circulating on internet sites. So again, any information that they don't like is false. Okay, but I, have a, I wrote down in my notes, how can they claim it's false versus concerning as all agree there is no data. So is it false that there's concerns or is it un, un, unknown? Unknown. Right, and if it's unknown, isn't hesitancy sometimes the better part of valor is that I'm, I'm mixing my metaphors there. Do you think it's do you think it's also because 
of what you've talked about before, like um, we've gotten ourselves kind of into a hole of how are we going to get out of the lockdown? How are we going to get back into life? How are we going to... Well, they're using it for that purpose. But don't you think that that might be like also part of the whole point is if, if we can convince people to do this, even if we don't have good evidence about the safety then we'll get out we'll get out of this situation that we've gotten ourselves into but it doesn't seem like we are because people even like Fauci are still saying oh the you know the 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 lockdowns are going to continue for a while i mean they're not in certain states but and that mask wearing probably will, will may never go away mm-hmm. i my my chiropractor who i've been with for a really long time she and i are politically on opposite ends of the spectrum and I actually had to tell her to stop talking yesterday when I was seeing her. Mm-hmm. Right? I said I'm here to get adjusted and relaxed. Be professional. Yeah, because she mm-hmm. was she was going off on and on about uh, um, certain political things, which mm-hmm. we won't talk about. But also the mask. Um, she thinks that masks are here to stay forever. It's quite possible, which is very well sad not for to me, me. Not, not for you and me. Yeah, yeah, not happening. And by the way, what happens next year during flu season? Say we get over all this and say we're finally opened up again and next year flu season. If they were that, if they could shut us down that easily this time, why won't they say, oh, this is going to be a really bad flu. We need to lock down again mm-hmm. or everyone needs to wear a mask again or we need to close, shut down the NBA and the NHL. And, or you have to have the flu vaccine or you're, or, on your passport. In order, to, you know, or, in order to go to college you know, or to go anywhere, you now have to have the flu vaccine. Mm-hmm. That was my point, actually, and I forgot. So thank you. <laughs> Genius. Okay, so. Current evidence supports the view that legitimate self-interest in health and life are supported by timely vaccinations. Okay, really? So I put down the author's point of view, ignoring data on injuries, as well as data showing better health in unvaccinated children, as we discussed last, last podcast, All right? So he's saying that, uh, that self-interest in health and life are supported by timely vaccinations. Is giving a newborn baby a hepatitis vaccine a timely vaccination that supports health and life? According to them, probably, yes. Right. Mm-hmm. That tells you where it tells you every. I think that tells you pretty much everything you need to know. People should be talk about being hesitant. You should be like we really should be doctor hesitant right now, and we should be government hesitant, and we should be organizational hesitant because it just seems like people have lost their mind. I told you there's a pandemic of stupidity <laughs> going on. All right, research about previous pandemics has supported the healthcare professional recommendation for maternal vaccination as an important factor that influences behavior. Exactly sure what that means. By the way, which pandemic are they talking about? Research about previous pandemics. When, when was this ever done in a previous pandemic? It's never been done before. I don't even know what they're talking about there, okay? So he makes, he makes straw man arguments. Do everybody know what a straw man argument is? I'm talking to my computer. <laughs> I know you guys are out there. Um, a straw man argument is when you make an argument that's nobody's making and then you proceed to tear it down and it makes it look like you're really smart, okay? So he comes up with this pejorative term called free riders. You heard the term free riders? No. Okay, not in this, not in this context anyway. Yeah. Um, in ethical theory, patients who want others to be vaccinated but not themselves and who therefore want the benefit of herd immunity without you know, taking any risk are known as free riders, all right? The decision to be a free rider does not command respect because free riders want others to take risks without having to take those risks themselves, all right? Now, here's the deal. First of all, I don't know what he's talking about because I don't think anybody who's not taking the vaccine wants other people to take the vaccine. 
or take the risk for them. Right. I, I don't know the free riding community. I haven't met them. And, the, and me neither. And the, yeah. yeah. So this is he, he's done this before. He did it with a VBAC argument and and home birthing, comparing VBAC to home birthing. If you look at podcasts, I think I think it was one sixty. No, it could have been well one fifty one or one sixty one. You'll hear the argument. But the, the question shouldn't be that. The question should be: Is there a risk or is there not a risk? Right. And if there's a risk, then is somebody who's not taking the vaccine doesn't necessarily say, I don't want the vaccine, but I want you to take it so that I can be free. No, I've never heard anybody make that argument. Never. No. And I love that saying, I've mentioned it before, but like, if there's a risk, there should always be a choice. Always. Right. If there's a risk to anything, there should be a choice. If there's no risk, there should be a choice. Well, especially if there's a risk, there should be a choice. Correct. Yeah. There is no evidence that vaccination affects present or future fertility. Statement. Okay. Mm -hmm. Well, that's right. Because there's no evidence at all that it doesn't either. Mm -hmm. Right. Wouldn't the burden of proof be on, you know, normal vaccine studies, five years, 10 years, you know, large, large clinical trials. They haven't done those with these vaccines. Mm -hmm. How do you check effect on fertility when the vaccine's been around for what, four months now? Yeah. How do we know it's going to happen two years from now or three years from now and four years from now? And they're already they're already prepping you, by the way, that you're going to need a booster shot and that you might need a shot every year. So we have no idea. And if you have a hard time getting pregnant, it's OK. We'll just do IVF. We've got, th- we've got something for that, too. Oh, OK. <laughs> That wasn't in the that wasn't in the paper. No. Okay. No, I'm just saying there's a pill for everything. These the goal should be empowering patients to recognize that they have mistakenly adopted false beliefs that if acted on would jeopardize their goals for their planned pregnancy. So in other words, not getting the vaccine is going to jeopardize your pregnancy. Based on what? Based on the very small number of people who, when they get sick, might get sicker. What other risk are we taking? I don't know. When patients refuse vaccination, here we, here we go. Okay. Here we go. ACOG states that pregnant patients who refuse the vaccine should be supported in their decision. End quote. This can be read to suggest, and this is this goes on from our two favorite authors. Mm-hmm. What'd you call them? Macbaum? Macbaum. 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 This can be read to suggest that the physician should simply accept a patient's refusal, which of course is not an adequate response. So you should not if the, if you should not accept the refusal, even though ACOG says that their decision should be supported, mm-hmm. because ACOG is wrong and and Nackenbaum are right. And they don't know that no is no means no, Stu. No, doesn't mean no. No means you just not you you're not smart enough and haven't figured it out yet. Yeah. Right. Paternalism. Yeah. Okay. And by the way, women can be just as paternalistic as men. I just kind of, I got to throw that out there. Paternalism doesn't imply that it's, that it's a man doing it. It's, it's a way of talking to people, a way of treating people. Usually. Okay. Well, yeah, it has been in the past, Mm -hmm. but a lot of people that are out there speaking now are, are, are females, like the head of the CDC and other things like that. They're saying some really paternalistic stuff on top of that, uh, where he says that, that saying no is not adequate. The physician has a strict legal obligation to satisfy the requirements of what is known as informed refusal. Patients should be informed about the risks to themselves and others when they are not vaccinated. They're increasing their risk of becoming infected and becoming sick and infecting others, including their newborn child. This disclosure should be documented in the patient's record. Okay, fine. Yeah. 
Fine. Full informed consent, both right. sides. Right. Yeah. It's kind of the um, the not the injured baby scare trick thing. Sort of. Sort of. But okay. it's also informed consent. There is evidence that a healthcare provider's recommendation for vaccination is the most important factor in maternal decision making. That may be true. All right. People will ask their doctor, what would you do? What would you do? Yeah. So he says, they say, physicians should use available data to weigh the benefits against the risks of COVID-19 vaccines, and they should consequently recommend COVID-19 vaccinations to all patients planning to become pregnant, all patients, pre all pregnant patients, and all patients who are breastfeeding or planning to breastfeed. So, yeah, of course, in their, in their estimation, there's only one ethical conclusion. Mm -hmm. anything, that, anything short of that is uh, uh, that you haven't done your job as a professional, you know, your professionally responsible job, which is kind of what, what Dr. Zajac in Minnesota is under the scrutiny for giving his patients informed consent for the vaccine schedule in Minnesota. He's a pediatrician. We talked about him on one of the podcasts and them saying that, that if they just, if patients decide that they didn't want to be vaccinated, then he must be skewing his counseling. To, right. Couldn't, they couldn't possibly come to that decision on their own with, right. with honest counseling. It's, it's mind blowing. Some statements from governments and professional associations concerning COVID-19 vaccinations implicitly adopt the approach of shared decision-making. Okay, Shared decision-making. One of the tenants, Brad Boots-Taylor wrote a book on it. Seems like something that, that should be reasonable. Most people think that the decision belongs to the, the patient or the client, but certainly the doctor has a stake in that. The health, the health system has a stake in it. So it's, it's a shared decision-making process. Uh-uh-uh. <laughs> this assumes that shared decision-making should guide counseling patients about receiving COVID-19 vaccinations because of uncertain evidence about the net clinical benefits or risks of COVID-19 vaccinations. Shared decision-making in this sense and without making a recommendation should not guide counseling of patients about COVID-19 vaccinations who are pregnant, breastfeeding, or planning to breastfeed um, because recommending COVID-19 vaccinations, as we have shown, is justified on evidence-based and ethical-based grounds. So my comment at that was, are you now convinced? Mm -hmm. uh, Bliss Young. No. I, they didn't convince you. No. I must not have done a good job of counseling. <laughs> you know, this is this is typical of all knack and bombs. I like that. <laughs> Papers on ethics. They, you know, they all smack of unethicalness, if that's a word. I like it. And paternalism and confirmation bias, by the way. That's one of my favorite words. So... So anyway, that's uh, that's the summary of that article, and I, it's another timeless article. I would love to hear back from anybody who wants to read the article. Again, the link will be in the show notes. If you read it and you see it differently than I do, again, I I'm a little, I'm probably a little bit snarky with them because I a little yeah, and, and I've had I've had personal email comments from Dr. Grunbaum, mm -hmm. who rather than directing his comments to what I've, what I've written about attacks me personally, mm -hmm. which is classic. When you don't have the facts, you pound the table. Yes. Right? Yes. So, so I'm not attacking them personally. They're probably very, I said, they're probably very smart guys, probably good family men, all that stuff, but their way of thinking just, you know, is, is not the only way of thinking. Very good. It's not. You have something? I wanted to I wanted to show you what Aviva Ram, who's a midwife and herbalist, um, very well respected in the midwifery community, um, what she says 
when she's asked, should I get the vaccine? Yeah. Just as a contrast, okay? I wish I could give you an easy answer, but the reality is that even though it's now being given to more liberally to pregnant women without years of clinical data to rely on, we just don't know for sure how safe and effective it is for pregnant women or if there are any drawbacks to consider. Whether you receive this vaccine is a matter for deep personal consideration and decision-making, weighing personal concern, lifestyle risk, and a very real and serious global pandemic. Therefore, I cannot say what I think you should do. What I will do is review the information we do have so that you can make the most informed decision possible for both you and your baby. Yeah. She goes on to talk about her own status, but um, I well, she's not professionally responsible. That's that's clear, <laughs> according to Knack and Bomb. Um, so, anyway, it's just very interesting, right? Like, I, and I think that that's probably how you and I would counsel people. Like, you know, I really can't tell you for sure whether or not this is a safe thing to do. I think people in academia and people in politics have a bit of a, a streak of totalitarian DNA, mm-hmm. and they like lauding over people that why does people go into academia and, and into the, the, these organizations that, that control the industry? Why do people go into politics? They go into these things because it gives them a sense of um, authority over you. And, and it's sort of like, so why do they keep winning? And why do those of us, I think there's probably more people that think like you and I do than think like them. I don't right. Know, maybe, I, don't I, I just think there are. I mean, I think they're that, academic. I think it's so. an very American thing to to want individual freedom and and to be left alone and to make decisions on your own that affect your own health and your family. I think that that's pretty normal. And yet, that's not where politics is, and not where mainstream medicine is today. And part of me wonder, you know, I, I was thinking about this a lot, and I listened to a lot of podcasts. I spent a lot of time in my car driving, so I listened to a lot of podcasts and I read some books and stuff. And and I'm thinking that that. People who get pleasure out of controlling other people and stuff like that, well, you know, they'll they'll become activists. That's what they'll do. Whereas people who don't get pleasure out of it are not going to go into it to fight them. Right. They're gonna, they're just they're not interested in it. Yeah. They don't want to control you, so they don't want to get into politics. They don't care what you do. They just just leave me alone and let me do what I want. And so the people that want to control you and want to direct you they go into areas of control where they can do that sort of thing. And so they're, there's far, they're far high, more higher represented in, in your local governments, your state government, your federal government, your ACOG, um, and all, and all these or other organizations, the world health organization, these are all people who sort of love like that bureaucratic stuff. Whereas you and I sort of like just doing on an individual level. Being with people in the moment. Giving them that our best in information and never being afraid to say, you know what? I don't know that one. I don't know the answer to that. Yeah. Let's try to figure it out. Like, How do you like feel? Aviva says. Like you said, asking yeah. questions. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. How do you feel about it? Yeah. What are your concerns? Yeah. It's a great one to ask people. Mm-hmm. Right. But do you want me to read? Um, Should we end with a review then? Yeah, let's end with the review because I, I didn't, I couldn't find it earlier. I yeah, yeah. kept talking. Well, I like when you read a review because it, we, it's and it's good to end on it because then I've, that'll bring me up from the, from the depths of uh, neck and bomb. Yeah. Oh. Um, so it's a five star because I know you like the five stars. 
Um, my favorite. Is there anything else besides a five star? No, <laughs> I'm, I'm sure there is. Hey, one of these times we're gonna have to talk about some of, some of the one stars and the trolls, because I, I I really do. I also like to talk sometime about what motivates people to be mean mm-hmm. on the internet. What's the point? Yeah. Well, we're gonna go up right now, and we're gonna end. Okay. Okay. So my favorite podcast is what she says, um, and it says, "I just had to write a review to tell the world how much I appreciate this podcast." I had identical twin girls in Colorado, and this podcast was my guiding light. I learned so much, listened to every episode, and felt the courage and confidence to stand up for myself when it came to informed consent. Yay! I am so thankful for the work you both do. I have even considered going back to school to work in the birth field. Please do. Please do, Stu says. Um, This is a must listen if you are a birth worker, expected parent, or human (laughs) on earth. Five stars. Well, then we know certain people from academia will not be listening because <laughs> they don't qualify for any of those categories, right? <laughs> Wait, we're not going to bash them. They're humans. No, that's lovely. Who was that from? It, you know, uh, it's always like a um, oh, it might be like a little hashtag. Yeah, it might be somebody named Sasha, right? Maybe Sasha. When you do your lovely reviews, and we invite you to continue to do that, put your name in there and tell us where you're from because we love knowing that information. So, thanks for joining us. Yeah. Stu, that was um, really in-depth. Thank you for going over that. Well, I do it so that everybody else doesn't have to. <laughs> so thank you. It was, uh, it, was, it was interesting to listen to. You're welcome. So until next time. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Birthing Instincts podcast. We know that we all lead busy lives, so we are extremely grateful that you give us an hour of your time each week. If you enjoyed this episode, please share. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast for the latest updates and reviews. To help others join us, you can find Dr. Stu at Birthing Instincts and Bliss at Birthing Bliss Midwifery on Instagram. 